As we continue in our study in the book of John, this week we are going to cover all of chapter 9 because there's not really a, a good place to break it. It really is just one story that fits together and um, you kind of have to read the whole chapter to, to understand what's going on. So uh, we're not going to read the whole thing. You guys can read, the, read it in your group, but I just want to maybe explain the story a little bit and highlight a few key, key verses and concepts. Um, first, we see the setting of this story. Uh, we'll pick up in John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So we get the situation. Um, Jesus is posed with the question. Uh, something difficult had happened, a suffering had happened in the life of a, of, of a human. <clears throat> and the disciples are thinking in a very normal worldly way. Uh, we see this kind of thinking all the time in the world. Uh, we tend to think that if something bad has happened, then it, that it means that someone deserved it. Or if something good has happened, it means that something has deserved it. Now, what we see throughout the Bible is that there, there are some principles of wisdom uh, that we would say something along the lines of you reap what you sow. Uh, and that is true in a general wisdom sense. But the Bible's clear that we do not live in some sort of a closed system where there's something like karma or something like tit for tat, um, where there's automatic uh, good for good and bad for bad. Uh, we have learned from the Bible that this is a fallen world and we serve a gracious God. And what that means is that there's many times when uh, bad things happen to people who seem to be good and good things ha happen to people who seem to be bad uh, because while we do have to live according to the principles of wisdom, uh, God is at work in ways that we don't understand, and his grace flips the, the head on our thinking. Uh, we tend to think in a merit-based system, and so we think that everything everyone has is what they've earned, but over and over and over again, the Bible teaches us that that is not true, and that's why Jesus takes this opportunity to tell them that their thinking is earthly, their thinking is worldly. Um, that this man wasn't born blind because he did anything or because his parents did anything. But rather, there's something deeper going on here. Now, uh, as we see in verse 6, it's one of the interesting moments when Jesus decides to heal someone in an unusual way. In verse 6 of chapter 9, it says, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And verse 7 says, and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, um, all, only thing I want to highlight here is that we see from other places in the scriptures that Jesus could have healed the man by simply speaking a word. Um, he could have healed the man without saying anything at all. Jesus doesn't need to use means. He doesn't need to use substances. He's not a witch doctor. He doesn't need potions. Um, but here's at least one thing this teaches us is that sometimes Jesus does choose to use means uh, or instruments for healing. And that's why you and I can participate in God's mission through things like our prayers, things like our faithful witness, things like our love and service of others. God doesn't need to use us. He doesn't need to use our prayers. He doesn't need to use our sharing of the gospel to save people, uh, but, he, but he chooses to. And we see something like that in how Jesus chooses to heal this man. Now, again, the great drama of this passage 
we see in verse 14 is that Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath. It says in 914, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Over and over and over again, we see Jesus not only healing, but healing on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees have such a backwards view. They don't understand that the Sabbath is this picture of rest, is the picture of God's peace, God's rest, God's shalom, and that the real peace of God, the real rest of God, who is Jesus himself, has arrived. And so as he's healing people, he is actually showing what Sabbath is really all about. It's becoming whole again in the presence of God. But these Pharisees have so misunderstood the Sabbath that they can't understand why Jesus would be doing this. Uh, but in reality, it's it's the Pharisees who don't understand things. But there's two things we see in the rest of this passage that really, um, I don't know, in a way connect to our lives. In verse 22, there's an interesting phrase. It says, His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And then in verse 34, we see this when the Pharisees are talking to the actual man who was healed. It says, they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. So we see in verse 22, the threat of being cut off, put away, cast out. And we see in verse 34, the actual being put off, uh, cast away and put out. This is one of those hard realities that sometimes what it means to follow Jesus is to be put out or cut off or cast out from the world. But the good news is that we are welcomed into God's family, into God's kingdom, into God's people. And so even if we are put, put out or cut off, we are welcomed by God through Jesus. I love how in verse 38, after the man uh, here's who Jesus is. It says, he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. So it is right for us to worship Jesus. Jesus is the appropriate object of our worship. We confess here at Palmetto Shores, the one God who has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is the Son in particular who has become incarnate. That means he took on flesh. He became a human being. But even in his humanity, even as the one person, Jesus, who possesses both the human nature and the divine nature, it is absolutely appropriate to worship Jesus just like this man does here. And then just a final thought about this passage, uh, kind of connecting it back to er an, an earlier part of John. It's interesting that Jesus, as he's talking with the Pharisees, says in verse 39, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see me may see and those who see may become blind. Now, you might recall that back in John chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus very explicitly said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. And yet here in John 9, Jesus says, for judgment, I came into this world. So what does this mean? Is Jesus contradicting himself? Well, I don't think so. In the first instance, in John 3, Jesus is saying that his purpose was not 
to come and to condemn, to uh, convict with a judgment that was punishment and a verdict that was, hey, God is going to uh, punish you. That's not the purpose. That's not why Jesus came. So, in fact, Jesus came to save. So, what does he mean when he say, I came to judge? Well, I think this is what we see. This whole chapter, really, all of chapter 9, is kind of like a courtroom scene. At the very beginning, the disciples come to Jesus with this, with this question, and the whole rest of the chapter is a court case. And what we see from the very beginning is that they come to Jesus with a question, and in verse 3, Jesus answers, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is Jesus as the perfect judge. Jesus understands life. Jesus sees reality. Jesus answers questions on behalf of God. And so in that sense, Jesus has come to judge. Um, not, that he came, not, not that he has come to condemn, but that he has come to unveil and to interpret God's world, God's law, and most especially, God's heart. I hope you guys have a great rest of your discussion.